Hey everyone, it's Blake. Quick announcement before the start of the show. At the beginning of November, my mom is going to be doing a walk to raise money for MS, for multiple sclerosis. So um, it's a 50-mile walk that she is going to be doing, and uh, all of the proceeds from the walk are going to a fund to help uh, raise money to find a cure to MS and the different forms of MS. So uh, for those of you that don't know a lot about MS, it affects millions of people worldwide and can have a lot of different symptoms and different ways that it impacts people. But a very common theme is that it sort of restricts mobility and movement and you having full control over your body. And something uh, very difficult about MS is that it usually gets diagnosed at a relatively young age, like 20s, 30s, stuff like that. But then it is degenerative and keeps getting worse throughout your life. So when you get diagnosed, it might not be so bad, but you kind of know that there is this timer on you that you are going to be getting worse and worse. And two of my mom's best friends um, have it and had it. One of them has since passed away. My wife's aunt has it. And um, like I said, millions of people all over the world have it. And I'm sure some of you listening to this know someone that has it because of how common it is. So if there is something that you would like to do to help out that person that you know with MS, or if you would just like to do it, even though you don't know anyone with MS, I will be putting a link on the homepage of Half Hour Intern uh, where you can donate to my mom's walk um, so that you know we can raise money and hopefully one day have a cure for people diagnosed with ms um, thank you so much for your help and support i appreciate it and on to today's episode this happens all the time uh in english through latin where you have basically doubles you have duplicates there's no real necessity in english to have the word work and the word labor but we have both of them because of latin and because of the prevalence of Latin throughout the development and usage of English itself. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? My name is Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. If you'd like to support episodes like this being made, please check out the show's Patreon page at patreon.com slash halfhourintern. And Patreon supporters often get access to a little bit of bonus content from interviews. And today's episode, where we speak with Latin teacher Chuck Fontana, we have some bonus content where he will be going over some of his favorite Latin words with us or Latin phrases. And then he will also give us all sorts of interesting uh, Latin curse words that we can use. So that is in the bonus Patreon content for Patreon subscribers. So on to today's episode that you will all hear right now. Um, all I can say is that this is one of the most interesting and uh, I... I I learned more possibly in this episode than any episode I have ever done. I went into it thinking like, all right, Latin, you know, like might be a little boring. Uh, I, I don't really know how much this is going to like blow my mind, you know, uh, and Chuck basically blew my mind. Like there's so much interesting stuff here. And what was so cool is that not only do you learn about sort of the history of Latin and interesting things about that language, but it gives you a lot of insight into English or whatever other language you speak and some of the words that might be inside of your native tongue. Um, so really fun, cool stuff here. Without further ado, here is Latin teacher. Chuck, thanks so much for coming on the show today. 
Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So if we could, I'd like to start out with a little bit of a history lesson. Um, if you could tell us where Latin falls in sort of a timeline of languages. I remember growing up and you hear about Latin. And as, as a kid, I always thought like I, Latin was like the first language ever, you know? And then <laughs> as I got older, I realized like, oh, no, there were several languages that, that pre like Latin is very, very old, but there were several languages yes. that, that predated it. So where does Latin fall in sort of how did it come about and what was its importance in terms of like the timeline of languages? Well, I think as you put it, Latin certainly is an old language, an old language, an ancient language, um, but it is certainly not by far not the oldest language that we have uh, that we have evidence of. Um, when I'm teaching my students, the general number that's easiest for them to remember about 2000 years ago uh, nicely highlights kind of the um, the height of Latin as in terms of it being spoken, in terms of its being written as a major form of communication. Um, but Latin, along with many, many other languages, is part of the Indo-European language group um, that ultimately goes all the way back to Proto-Indo-European, which is a language that we don't have direct evidence of, but essentially we know must have existed in order to create the many modern languages and ancient languages uh, that we do have evidence of. Um, and when, you, when, you're, when you're talking about Proto-Indo-European, you're talking about many thousands of years ago, at least 5,000, I think is probably a safe bet. Um, that is, excuse me, that's at least 5,000 BC. Um, so you're talking about 7,000 years ago. I would say that's a safe safe place to at least start with the Proto-Indo-European language family. Um, and then before that, um, one could assume that humans were also using language. But if you're, if you're sticking to this language family, the Indo-European language family, uh, that's, that's, that's the timeline that, 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 that's where Latin falls in that timeline, if that okay. uh, makes sense. Yeah, gotcha. So I have a couple questions off of that did Latin sort of hit a prime? Like what made Latin become very, very popular about 2000 years ago? So that is directly tied to the size of the empire. Um, Latin started out in Rome. I mean, the current city of Rome that we think of today is where the Roman empire started. Not to, not to say that modern Rome is part of is is a direct descendant of the Roman empire. It's not, but that is where Rome started and it expanded throughout the Italian peninsula and up into modern day France, um, over into Britain and East out into modern day Romania, uh, South into Northern Africa, including all of modern day Egypt and Syria and modern day Syria and modern day Turkey as well. So as it got to that massive size, um, that also represented really the height of Latin being used throughout Europe, um, because as as the Romans expanded their empire, one of their one of their how to put this um, one of their somewhat conscious ob uh, objectives for spreading the empire was spreading the usage of Latin, um, and that happened naturally since as their empire got bigger, that was the language that the ruling class used. And so if you didn't know Latin, 
you couldn't participate in society. Um, and as that society got bigger, the usage of Latin got bigger as well. Um, so you're looking at around 120 AD, 140 AD, uh, being really the height of the empire, and therefore also that that aligns pretty nicely with the height of Latin being used as a I hate to say lingua franca, but as the as the as the language of Europe. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, great. I want to say that, lingua Latina. Latin, what it is what it is. I guess that's, that's Latin. What you're saying? Lingua franca. Yeah, lingua franca is is Latin for the French language, which is. It, you know, it, you know, makes me cringe every time I say it, but it is what you, everyone knows what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about the. Speaking of French, I guess uh, I did a little. Uh, so I did not know anything about Latin prior to yesterday. Just doing a minor amount of research on it. So one of the things that I learned is that the Romance languages are descended from Latin. And English is not necessarily descended from Latin. English is in like the Germanic languages pool. Would that be correct? Exactly. That's exactly right. Okay. So let's first talk about the Romance languages and then we'll move on to English because although English is descended from this Germanic language pool, we still use Latin in a ton of places, which is interesting. But so first let's talk about the Romance languages. Uh, if you could go over what those are for people that don't know and kind of how they came about from Latin. Sure. So the five major Romance languages are Italian, French, Spanish, Portuguese, and Romanian. There are other, I don't want to say minor ones, but there are other languages that directly descended from Latin with fewer speakers. One example I can think of is Catalan. Um, but those are, those are the Romance languages, and those are the five most, those are the five languages with the most speakers, um, known, Romance languages that come directly from Latin. Uh, your question about how that what say it again your question about how it how they came from latin is that what it was yeah more or less how they came from latin because i look at especially when you're talking about like italian and french and they look very similar to each other but to me neither of them look incredibly similar to latin i also don't know much latin <laughs> at all Depends uh, who you ask. yeah yeah so yeah. i i guess uh talk to us about like I guess, was there an order in which these became descended from Latin? Um, how they became descended from Latin? And then maybe you can give us some, like, uh, some examples of the, like, words in, in each language that, that sound very similar Latin versus, you know, their French or Italian counterpart. Sure, okay. Um, the Romance languages came to be because the people, just common folk, were using a related but not identical form of Latin in their just everyday speech. So when people would speak to one another in Rome, in Paris, um, in cities all around the Roman Empire, they wouldn't speak in the classical Latin that we think of today, the classical Latin that I teach today, the classical Latin that, um, that scholars study today, the Latin of Cicero. No, that's not generally how people spoke on a on a day-to-day -day basis, they would have spoken a colloquial version, a vernacular version of Latin um, on a, for you know just for their everyday conversation. It was not at that at that point we're talking about um, hundred AD, you know the height in the height of the of of the usage of Latin, those languages which end up becoming the Romance languages were not written languages at that time. Um, Latin 
when you're writing, classical Latin was the rate was the was the way to write. Um, but in terms of day to day speech, other languages were used, and those are the Romance languages. So when you're talking about Italian, that came from the day to day language that people used in Italy, um, going back all the way back to at least 100 A.D. Um, and Italian evolved from then, kind of side to, side by side with Latin. The same could be said with French and Romanian um, and Portuguese as well. Um, so it's less about it's less about when the Romance languages came to be. Uh, it's as soon as Latin got there, people started speaking a more natural colloquial spoken version of Latin, and those are the Romance languages. That's, those end up being the Romance languages we know today. That's so interesting. So it was people just, it, it's sort of a mix of a more relaxed version combined with maybe some slang combined with yes. whatever that led to these other languages because people didn't want to speak the formal version of Latin. Yes. Correct. That's so interesting because we don't really have that much in today's society in things like English. I mean, you know, I'm an English speaker, so I just know yep. about that. But I think about it, and now you have me wondering uh, with like, I remember, again, as, as a child, I would hear or have to read something like Shakespeare. And I would think like, my God, people used to actually speak like this. Like, this is incredible. <laughs> and like, they, they, I feel like it'd be so frustrating to have to talk like this. It, it Was that the same sort of thing with like old English speaking like that, that, that people would write like that, you know, very verbose and everything. And, but then when they actually were just talking, it was a more simplified version. It's not a bad analogy. I think a, a better analogy might be between actual old English of, of say Beowulf of that time, 800, 900 AD versus Shakespearean English. I mean, if you look, if you look, if you look farther back at the, at the English from 800, 900 AD, um, real old English, um, it, it's comparably different to say Shakespearean English as Latin is to Italian today. Okay. So, you know, I believe me, I'm a, I'm, I'm a teacher at a school and the kids read Shakespeare and I definitely understand their lamentations about that. But Shakespeare is considered modern English. And the fact that we can read it at all, that a student can read it with very little training at all, um, really highlights how modern it is. Um, but if you go farther back, especially before English was influenced by Latin and the Romance languages, comparing that English to Shakespeare's English or that English to modern day English, that's more comparable um, with Latin versus, say, Italian or French today. That's a really good point. I, I didn't even consider that or think about that because any version of Beowulf or something like that that I would have been familiar with, you're saying basically would have been translated uh, to make it so I could even understand it versus yes. the way that I have heard and read Shakespeare is not even translated. Like That's basically the no. way that he wrote it and for me to even be able to understand it is a miracle basically compared to something like beowulf right yeah i mean translated really is the right word for beowulf even though you're translating it from english to english it is it is really the equivalent of translating something say from latin to french or romanian right right gotcha Man, that's so interesting. I never knew that before. Um, all right, so let's talk about Latin and English. So is there any influence of Latin in the English language 
aside from us using it in science and law and things like that? And it's on my dollar bills and everything. <laughs> sure is. Uh, the answer to that is a definite yes. Um, most most scholars believe that um, about 56, 54% of the English language ultimately comes from Latin. Um, so that wow. is the, the, yep, the words that we actually use day to day in the English language, over 50% is a very safe estimate, ultimately come from Latin. Now, a lot of that is directly from Latin. Let's say half of that, about 25%, maybe 26%, comes directly from Latin. And the other 25, 26% would come from other Romance languages, which, as we know, ultimately comes from Latin. So it's over 50% of the vocabulary words we use in English do ultimately come from Latin. Do you have examples of a few of those, like one that is unfettered, that it basically is just straight from Latin, and then one that is more from a, a traditional Romance language? Sure. Um, the word... The word labor is, a, is as good example as, as any. The word labor is a Latin word. Labor in Latin means work. Okay. And this, this happens all the time uh, in English through Latin, where you have basically doubles, you have duplicates. There's no real necessity in English to have the word work and the word labor, but we have both of them because of Latin and because of the prevalence of Latin throughout the development and usage of English itself. So you have duplicates like that. The word labor is as is a Latin word. Just using that root system, we have the word laboratory, which comes from laboratorium, a place to work. And especially knowing the word labor, you can see easily it's related to laboratory. Um, and that is, again, like we in English, we could use a word like workspace, workplace, but laboratory comes to have a very specific meaning, usually scientifically. Um, so you have that kind of duplicate as well. Um, and so those are a few examples. I'd be happy to give you some more if you yeah, want. Hang on. You basically yeah. just blew my mind. So are you to say that most of the time in the English language, when we have, to, and I would imagine now thinking about this, that this would hold true for other languages as well. But when you have two or three or whatever words that mean the exact same thing, that most likely if you were to historically trace that back, the reason why you have two or three words that mean the exact same thing is that they were for different speakers of your language a couple thousand years ago when some of the speakers were more Latin familiar, some of the speakers were more you know Italian familiar, German familiar, whatever it is. And that's how you end up with these multiple things that mean the exact same thing. You could put it that way. Um... I think a, a Latin, so many Latin words, specifically Latin words, not talking about the Romance language words that came into English, but so many Latin words came into English because the most high visibility use, users of the English language often were readers of Latin as well. They were versed in Latin. They had learned Latin. They read their Cicero. They read their uh, their Caesar. They read their... Um, their Catullus and, and their Ovid. And so they, to sound learned, and also A, to sound learned, but also just to, to, bring in, um, to bring in vocabulary that's better expressed in Latin than it could be in English, mm. um, that phenomenon gives us a very rich vocabulary in English and creates duplicates um, like that. Now, as for the 
Romance language words that come into English. Yeah, I think there your point is valid, where speakers of other languages that also spoke English could bring their words into the language. I mean, boy, in Italian, you can think of zillions of food examples. Um, and that's where we are in terms of that's how we get that 53, 54, 55% number of English words that come from Latin, either Romance languages or directly from Latin. So then what makes it? said that English is a Germanic language rather than a Latin language if there is such a huge basis of Latin in English? We, we can trace English directly back to German. Uh, so think of, English, think of the Latin words and the Romance language words that we have in English today as, this is a terrible analogy, but as, as you know, Parmesan cheese that you put on your pasta. They're kind of add-ons. Um, they're not a they're not part of the um really the structure of the language itself. So if you go back to old English, English of uh we're talking about Beowulf here, 800 900 AD, it has next to no Latin influence whatsoever and all you know this 50 plus percent of words in the English language come from Latin are not there in Old English. Um, and you see a language that is very close to German. Um, so structurally speaking, grammatically speaking, English has its roots in German and its core vocabulary is German, which comes in, which, and, and relating that to today, the, if you look at the thousand most utilized words in English, the majority of them are Germanic words. As you get into more and more advanced vocabulary, that tends to be Latinate vocabulary. Okay, gotcha. That totally makes sense. Great analogy with the uh, Parmesan and stuff. I love <laughs> it's that. Best I could do. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. It's so interesting learning about this because this now makes me think of, like many people in the United States, I know a little bit of Spanish, but that's about yep. it, you know? Yep. Or, uh, you know, if you go traveling in Western Europe and you go to France or Italy, um, there every now and then you'll hit a word or you'll say a word and you'll be like, Oh my God, that sounds just like our word for it. You know, oh, like yeah. that sounds just like the English word for this thing I'm trying to say. And yeah. I've never considered before, like, why doesn't that happen more often? Or why does that even happen at all? It should either like not happen or it should happen, you know? Um, and I, it, what you're saying right now, it, it makes sense as to why every now and then you'll hit a Spanish word that sounds kind of like the English version. It's because, yes. well, that English word is probably more of a Latin based word and yes. Spanish is a Latin based language. So that yes. word, that's why that sounds similar yep. versus when you go to Germany or, uh, to the Netherlands or something like that. And you're speaking Dutch. There's a ton of words there where you will have an English word that sounds just like the German word or the Dutch word or something like that. Um, It all, it's like, it's all falling into place now. This is so interesting. And it's good that you bring up, you know, for instance, Dutch versus French were basically the languages you're talking about. And boy, if you, if you're an English speaker and you've studied some French and you studied some Dutch, you can come up with a very high percentage of the words that we get in English from those two. Um, Obviously I would be a, advocate to study latin on top of that perhaps instead of french um or in addition to it but boy i mean if you're talking about a romance language and a germanic language that you can study as an english speaker it will really enrich your uh your your understanding of language all right so let's talk about the 
timeline of like when and where Latin's like continued decline began to where we are right now. And, uh, and then do you, do you feel like there is any potential for Latin completely going away or where there'll always be people like you around, like keeping it going? I think Latin will never go away. That's the short answer. Um, to say that I'm not concerned about it would also be a stretch. Latin is not going anywhere because there will always be, I'm very confident that there will always be scholars, um, the ivory tower folk, if you will, that will always study Latin in depth and really dissect um, various specific issues uh, that pertain to the Romans to help us understand who we are today. I do not see that high level of scholarship going anywhere. And perhaps that's that's just me being optimistic, but I really don't think it is. I mean, the Romans have really um, have really captured our imaginations and have really given us a society with which to compare ourselves. Um, and I think that has immense value in terms of um, in terms of stepping away from the ivory tower and just looking at Latin on the ground. That's that's really where I am. I definitely have concerns since so many public schools are dropping their Latin programs. And at the end of the day, public schools in America are the backbone of our education system. And I teach in an independent school, and I'm very lucky to have such uh, motivated students and a faculty in a school that understands the value of Latin. But the fact that that's, you know, that, that may be declining across the public school uh, sector of the United States, that definitely concerns me. And I think, um, I think that's something I would love to see hopefully change. Yeah, no doubt. I, it's, it's hard for something to just keep on going when there's no speakers of it. I mean, do you even ever get to speak Latin to other, I mean, other than like your students, are there like, and you know what, their understanding is going to be so limited compared to yours. Are, are there like Latin meetups or like Latin groups online or something where you at least get to speak to other people that know Latin or is it just like, you know it and it just stays in your head? No, there, there are definitely many uh, opportunities to use it outside of an academic setting and people that are very dedicated to um, keeping Latin as alive as possible. Um, one thing that comes to mind is the Grex Latina Loquentium, which is a basically a listserv where all the content is in Latin. Um, so you can stay connected to Latin being used and written today uh, if you subscribe to that newsletter. Hmm. Um, and you can hear the news in Latin. I know it's 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 really cool actually. Um the Nuntii Latini is a is a project that does the Latin news. Um so you can you can hear the news being broadcast in Latin, current news. Um and there are other there are other there are other things as well that keep Latin alive. I can think of the Latinitas Recens, which is a which is a was a which a dictionary kind of devoted to modern Latin, if you will. To keep the uh, to keep the vocabulary of Latin current as society moves on. I mean, of course, if we just use the vocabulary of Latin of 100 AD, you know, 2,000 years ago, we're not going to have a word for computer. We're not going to have a word for car. We're not going to have a word for uh, you know electricity. And 
there are multiple projects that are dedicated to keeping Latin current in that way as well. So there are definitely opportunities uh, to use Latin and to hear Latin uh, being used today. That's definitely. so interesting. So what what are the words? Like, what is the word for computer or internet? Oh, boy. See, now you're testing my, my modern Latin. Computer, <laughs> I know. So there are a few words. You can use the word ordinator, which is basically like something that puts things in order, in sequence, ordinator. Or you can use computrum, which is more the root that we're familiar with today, something that calculates computrum. Okay, gotcha. Is yeah. there, do, do, you, do you happen to know the word for internet off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, I don't. Um, I mean, there's got to, obviously there is one. There is one. I mean, there absolutely is one, but I don't know it off the top of my head. Yeah, probably very scientific, like something relating to like the interconnectedness of blah, 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 which I guess yeah. is what internet means to begin with. Well, I mean, inter is a Latin root. I mean, it could be pretty similar. Uh, right. It could easily be very similar to the word internet itself. Right, right. So another thing that I learned when I was doing some research about uh, Latin that I never knew before is that it was like the intellectual language of the West up until not very long ago. Like I knew True. that we use it in science and law and everything. And I yep. figured that you would encounter those words a lot more if you were in law school or if you were uh, like a chemist or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I was reading that up until like seven, like the late 1700s or something, like it was yeah. the only language spoken at university, period, end of story. Like if you went to a yeah. university, like that was the language that was going to be, that all the books were written in and stuff like yeah. that. And that the if you made a scientific yeah. discovery, you yes. had to like write out your discovery in Latin and stuff like that. Yeah. And it wasn't until the late 1700s that that even stopped, which is incredible right. that that's like, that's not very long ago at all. Um, True. So what made that fall apart i guess is it just like everything else like everyone just wanted to be more casual about stuff yeah i think it was people realizing that um that modern languages could do a decent enough job with um expressing complex concepts and that what that realization happened gradually over the course of Boy, over the course of a few hundred years, um, the starting point I personally think of comes with um, comes with comes with uh, the De Vulgare Eloquentia on the uh, on the Common Tongue, where he argues for the usage of of the common languages. The Romance languages was what he was talking about, and um, since. From that point on, that was about 1300, 1305. From that point on, you got you started to see slowly more and more um, writing in modern languages. Um, so, and the, and then from the point to, to the point you're talking about, the end of the 1700s, it, it started to become very common uh, to write academic things, research in in languages other than Latin. It's interesting because you could see how a lot of people would be like, look, like I learned to speak Latin. This is the this is the language of the learned. This is the language of science. So I'm going to want to write my discovery in that and kind of like uphold my discovery as being something um, like worthy of Latin, as it were. And then you can see the flip of that, of maybe some of the younger people of that time being like i want everyone to read about my i want anyone to be able to read about this new thing that i just found i don't want it to just be left to like 
the upper crust people that went to universities, which I'm sure back then was, you know, I'm sure it wasn't like super common to be able to go to university back then. So they were like, look, I want everyone to know about what I just discovered. So that's boy, I can I can I can kind of argue both sides of the coin on that one, because one of the hugest advantages of writing in Latin was that it's a language that that spanned all of Europe. So you could your ideas could reach Britain and they could reach Egypt and oh, they could reach wow. Syria That's a very good point. and they could reach Italy, of course. So you have people all across Europe and all across the Roman Empire and beyond. I mean, beyond, yeah, the, th- the thing with the thing with Latin is that after the empire fell, people continued to use Latin. And so it spread really globally. I mean, Latin even spread to South America and, of course, North America um, for a, that brief, wonderful time, like 1700s or so, 16, 1700s, where Latin was still in in pretty high usage and uh you know north and south america were were colonized um so the it it could reach more people but then at the same time uh people felt that their own languages were capable of conveying the messages they wanted they if they wanted to be in latin they could be translated um and there was some of that too where the composition initially was in one language and then translated into latin um, so that was another way of, of reaching more people. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about, uh, like traditional Latin and where it's sort of most sticky within the Western world, which, which in, from my point of view would be science and law. And if there's any other areas where you see it being very sticky, please uh, like fill us in on that as well. But why do you believe it? it is so sticky in those areas and that it's not being changed or modified or anything. And they just use absolutely like classical Latin words in those yep. areas and they don't replace them with newer things. Cause you could say like, Oh, well, why would you replace them with newer? And yet it seems like we've done that everywhere else except for yes. those spaces. Yes. So in the, in the case of law, it really is because we took so much of Roman law and used it very directly to make our own legal systems. Um, the application of Roman law into our legal systems is, is pretty direct. Obviously, they're not identical, um, but so much, really, the, the, the body, the meat and potatoes of our law today is Roman law. So we use their terminology. Uh, it's easiest and it's best expressed in, in its native language, in its native language, which is Latin. Um, so in the case of law, it's just such a direct application of Roman law that Latin really has persisted, um, definitely even to this day. Um, as far as science, science is pretty broad, so we can talk about different, uh, perhaps different areas of science. Yeah, so I let's take that, biology yep. first, because, but sure. you know, people always think like, you know, if you're going out on like a nature hike, it's like, oh, well, actually the proper term for this tree yeah. or the correct term for that flower is blank. Exactly. And it's some super long word. Right. So in, in, in botany, in, in biology, um, the naming system of all organisms is in Latin. Uh, the reason for that is because of a guy named Carl Linnaeus and he, uh, he originated his Linnaean taxonomy, which was a way of organizing all the species that we know of, all the organisms that we know, into Latin, um, into Latin categories that are easily kind of expandable. So if we find a new species, you can organize it according to the Linnaean taxonomy. And 
he organized it so well in Latin, there's no chance of it ever really, ever really falling out of disuse because it's so thorough and it's, there are so many different species in it and it's so organized um, that Latin and biology kind of are certainly, I think, married forever. It would be, it wouldn't make sense to translate it. It's too inefficient. I mean, if you're really doing advanced scientific work, that's what, that's what the things are. That's what the different species are called. It's, you have to use Latin. Um, so it's his Linnaean taxonomy that really solidified that um, for sure. That's really cool. It's and to something that you said earlier. It's it's nice that we in the Western world kind of all uniformly have that. You know, like you could say if yeah. you were speaking with a botanist from Italy or something, you could say the Latin word and they would know it as well. You know, it's without a doubt. That, it, does that is that also prevalent in some areas of Asia as well? Like, could you be in like Thailand and say the Latin word of something to a botanist over there? And even if they were trained in, in Thailand as well, like, would they also know the Latin word for that? Uh, yeah, they, I, I imagine they would, especially if you're corresponding via email. I mean, if they, if you want, if you want to be a botanist that's doing any sort of global research with other people, you need to know the Latin terminology for species. Yeah, that's really um, cool. So certainly, at least in writing, yeah, absolutely, that's necessary. What other areas, I guess, that I haven't thought of or that the common person would not know, is Latin still very common? Like, will you see the words come up most frequently? So you mentioned chemistry, and that's a, that's a, good, one to, that's a good one to talk about. Um, we all know the periodic table. Uh, we all loved our 10th grade chemistry class. Um, and many of the elements on the periodic table are so named because of Latin. Um, a good example is iron, you know, iron, the symbol for it is FE. Now, what does iron and FE have to do anything? Well, Latin for iron is ferrum, F-E-R-R-U-M. So you take the first two letters there and that is the Latin periodic table name for iron. Uh, same thing with gold, same thing with silver. So a lot of them where in English, it's like, huh, gold doesn't start with A-U. That's because it comes from Latin. Uh, that's com- com- because it comes from Latin. Same thing with silver. Oh, it doesn't start with A-G, but argentum has an A and a G in it. That's so interesting. I wonder why only those ones and not some of the other older ones are like, let's say like nitrogen or something is the Latin word for nitrogen also beginning with an N. Therefore, they were just okay. able to use N. So that's Greek. A lot of them are also also ultimately come from ancient Greek. So nitrogen is a Greek root. Um, so the periodic table is a tricky one, come to think of it, because it is partially in Greek and partially in Latin. And then there are some that are that don't really follow either pattern. Yeah, right. So, right. Yeah. So you have a little bit of both. But yeah, I, I'm happy to plug Greek as well. I mean, Greek is uh, definitely uh, pretty. It is also has applications today as well. Definitely in science. In a, in a major way and medicine. So let's talk a little bit more about you, Chuck. I would love to know what made you interested in Latin to begin with uh, as like a young man. And then what, as you got a little bit older, made you so interested in it that you're like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Yeah. So when I was a young kid, age of, age of the students I teach now, sixth grade going into seventh grade, I'll never forget it. I had a conversation with my dad about what language to choose. It was French, Spanish, or Latin. And he really strongly suggested that I would, that I do Latin because that's what he took. He went to Catholic school. 
he was an altar boy. Make any Catholic jokes here that you might want to make. Um, but <laughs> jokes aside, he he saw the value of Latin and he heard it in the church and uh, he understood the value of it and how well uh, it, it how, how well he did by it. And plus, I was doing I was I was actually doing pretty poorly in English at the time. And he said, "This is really going to help," and it did. Uh, so I started taking Latin when I was in seventh grade and stuck with it. I majored majored in college. I actually majored. I focused on Greek because I'd taken Latin all throughout high school. Um, and as I yeah, as I kept studying, I realized the connections to be made between Latin and English and the Romans and us were so strong. There was there was I was really entranced by it. Um, and plus, I, I learned when I was pretty young that I really. Uh, loved being with kids. So teaching kids Latin was just perfect. So it was something that you basically figured out very early on. Like you wanted to be a Latin teacher from the time you were you were pretty darn young. It wasn't like, oh, I thought I was going to do this other thing. And then I decided to teach Latin. Yeah, no, it was definitely something I, I had. I'd at least been tossing around in my mind since I was probably 14 or 15. Wow, that's so that's like the exact opposite of people that I usually have on the show. So I would love to ask you then, what do you think you would be doing had you never taken that first Latin class? Like what what do you think you'd be doing for a living right now? Boy, that's hard to say. Wow. I mean, I also love writing. Um I, I, I definitely have a passion for language in general. So whether it's you know, boy, if I hadn't taken Latin, uh I still think I'd be involved in language in some way. Perhaps I'd be teaching English, perhaps I'd be a journalist, perhaps I would be, um, I feel like I'd be writing in some capacity. So perhaps journalism, I can see myself doing that. Yeah, definitely. It's hard to imagine myself without Latin though. That was, that's a tricky question. I'll be honest with you. That's so great to feel that way about what you do. That's like, it's, I mean, that's basically like living the dream, you know, to like enjoy what you do that much. It's great. Yeah, that's, that's fair to say. Um, so I would love to know other than teaching your students, what is, like, what are your, some of your favorite Latin experiences that you get to have throughout the course of a year, throughout the course of your life? Like, um, are there particular meetups that you've done that have just like really stuck out in your mind? Um, like, like where does Latin really impact you aside from your day to day in teaching kids? I mean, it, it, it impacts my day to day speaking to anyone ever. Um, I mean, even, even if you've taken just a few years of Latin, you should see pretty immediately how it affects everything that we say. Um, so it's not, it's not just academic. I mean, this is true of any, of really learning any foreign language. You want to use it as much as possible outside of the classroom. And for Latin, since we're not generally learning to speak it, we're learning to read it, um, and we're learning to make connections with our own language and culture, you, you really want to see Latin as much as you can. And since it's a given that Latin gives us 50 plus percent of our words in English, it's really all around us. I mean, it's, it sounds cliche, but Latin really is all around us. Um, so it impacts me in that way in a more kind of special way. Um, I've had some travel experiences that have really brought Latin to life, whether that's going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and uh, seeing Roman exhibits, the Natural History Museum and seeing Roman exhibits and seeing Latin that's been etched into stone that's thousands of years old. Um, I've been fortunate enough to visit Pompeii, which is one of the most magical places I've ever been to. Um, believe me, there's nothing quite like seeing 1900-year-old Roman paint still on a wall. Um, 
it's it's marvelous. Of course, it's a massive tragedy what happened to to the Pompeians yeah. in seventy nine AD. But we're very we're so amazingly lucky to have such preservation of of Rome, really, of of a part of the Roman Empire. So moments like that have really um, have really been highlights of my kind of studies of Latin and the Romans. I would say. For you, what came first, your interest in Latin or your interest in history? Like, what, thinking back to when you were like 13, 14 years old, were you really interested in history back then? Or did that kind of come later as you were already interested in something as historical as Latin? I was, I was always somewhat in- interested in history, but I would say it picked up dramatically once I started studying Latin. I, I would say the language came first for me personally. Um, it didn't take long for me to get to, for me to really get hooked on Latin. Uh, and boy, is that a nerdy thing to say? Uh, <laughs> but I was really hooked. I was really hooked on the language. And then as I kept learning more and more and more about the Romans and understanding their impact on us today, um, that really the, yeah, just the, my kind of dedication to the Romans and Latin became pretty complete. Um, understanding how much we, we owe to the Romans how much they have really have really given our society today. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, Chuck, let's go ahead and finish this thing up. If you could give some advice to someone that would like to learn Latin, and it's not, let's say it's somebody younger, it's not taught at their school, or it's a full-grown adult, what would you recommend someone do that would like to learn? Now, the, the series I use, the Cambridge Latin course at my school, is really excellent for... Uh, solo learners as well. Um, they have a great website, and you can uh, you can be a, you can subscribe to their website and get all of their content. Um, it is a very gradual approach to learning Latin. That's the Cambridge Latin course, and you can do it all online. You can subscribe to everything online, and it is the, in my opinion, the best way to learn Latin solo, um, as well as in a classroom. As it turns out, but their resources are really that good. Um, as far as technology is concerned, uh, it's very accessible on a computer. Of course you can buy the book, but you can really, it's so nice that you can do it all online. Um, and it's not your grandfather's Latin course. It's, it's not rote memorization. It's not, um, kind of the forced grammar tables on you. It's a very gradual reading based approach. Um, and I think it would work great for a solo learner as well. How long are we talking? If somebody were to be putting in, let's say, 45 minutes a day, five days a week, how long before they feel like, you know what, I just realized I kind of know what I'm doing or I can actually like string a few things together here? Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, the goal is always to read authentic Latin literature. And if you're if you're a, a motivated student, I would say, uh, as you're saying, if you're if you're really taking it like class, you should be able to at least read something within, you know, within two years, I would think. Um, and thinking, because, you know, if you're talking about 45 minutes, five, five days a week, that's similar to what I teach uh, my kids. Um, should be, it should be two years if you're, if you're a dedicated student. And I, I would say the biggest thing for a prospective learner is focus on your progress, not on, not on any particular difficulty, focus on your progress and um, read little bits at a time. And it's also totally okay to read, um, read Latin with, with an English translation next to you. That's, that's not cheating. That's, that's, that's smart. Um, it's still, 
experiencing the literature in the original. And that's, that's our goal. Yeah, definitely. Chuck, that is great advice. This whole thing has been great. I, I feel like I've learned so much more than I thought I was going to coming in. Like I knew I knew I was going to learn about Latin coming in, but I, I feel like I'm like so enlightened now just in terms of English. And like I was just in Europe uh, like a couple months ago and I wish I could go back now and just like notice some of the things that like now after all the stuff that you taught me between like the relationships with Latin and English and the romance languages and stuff like that. It's been... Uh, You've been so educational. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. I, um, I'm, I'm very glad to have been on. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, just search for the show on iTunes. Click on it. Click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.